Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello again, and welcome to Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, again, today we have Bob Phillips, another former alumnus of, uh, of the broadcasting business who uh, came to his senses and left broadcasting and went out and found a, an honest job as uh, the executive director of Common Calls of North Carolina. And uh, we kid Bob a lot about his days back when he was a television journalist with WPTF-TV back in the, well, I don't know, 1980s? Was that when it was, Bob? John, it, it was. And I think maybe you and my wife might be the only people who may remember that. But indeed, it was the 1980s. Well, uh, that was a wonderful time. And, 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 and of course, you also then later served as press secretary for former Lieutenant Governor Dennis Wicker, and then you joined Common Calls. Before we start too much, let's talk a little bit about what Common Calls is and, and uh, exactly what your organization is all about. Sure. We're a nonpartisan, nonprofit, uh, good government organization, you might say. I guess our mission is advocating for more open, honest, and accountable government. And I'm the uh, executive director, lobby a lot of the General Assembly, and really value where we can trying to work across the aisle and uh, find common ground on these good pro-democracy reforms that we all feel like would be uh, better if we can get uh, adopted. And you've been doing that now almost, well, you're, you're close to 20 years if you're not at 20. I, you, you know, you've got a great memory. I am actually done at 20 years. This even exceeds my time in broadcasting. So uh, I have been doing this longer than anything else. Well, uh, it's an interesting organization. As you said, you are bipartisan, and I think that's uh, very important in this day and age because we have so much partisan politics going on that we need these organizations to try to bridge the gap. Well, one of the things that's just finished, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about all the effects that uh, happened to state and federal government because of the completion of the census. Uh, of course, we've alluded uh, in the last couple of weeks to, with a couple of other guests about the fact that North Carolina will gain an additional congressman, but it goes beyond that. And uh, of course, redistricting is something that we do based on population. North Carolina, Bob, as, as uh, you know, and so many of our listeners know, uh, we are having a lot of growth, but it's basically uneven. And so the larger areas are getting even larger and the smaller areas are losing, either losing population or standing still and in effect losing their political clout. So there's a lot of fallout. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the various and sundry things that will happen because that we have this new census and North Carolina's growth. Uh, we can start with the, the additional congressional district and that's gonna require uh, redistricting and that's not gonna be easy. No, it's not. Uh, again, this is the second uh... I know decade in a row, maybe even more than that, that we have gained an additional congressional seat as a result of our um, population growth. And uh, to your point, I think about a third of our 100 counties actually lost population in the last 10 years. And those are the rural counties. And again, this puts more pressure on the lawmakers as they try to draw the lines. And we hope, and this is what we advocate for uh, a fair process, but when it comes to also now uh, adding a 14th congressional seat, uh, again, the hope is that it is a seat and the way they uh, draw the lines that uh, the entire map is reflective 
of what we are politically, and that is a purple state. Well, you know, 750,000 or thereabout is what should be in each congressional district. And when you look at our two largest counties, Wake and Mecklenburg, and, and uh, Wake has just, just recently passed Mecklenburg slightly in size, but both of those counties are in the 1.1 million area, a little bit larger, quite frankly. And so here's something that's really interesting. Wake County and Mecklenburg County are both larger than nine states, entire states. Uh, Wake County and Mecklenburg counties each have more people than Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, Alaska, Delaware, Rhode Island. They're nine states. And that's a little hard for us to wrap our hands around because that, that creates some very unique challenges because those two counties uh, will have will have to be split into two congressional districts. That's right. Yeah, you cannot draw a single district in Wake or Mecklenburg. You do have to draw more than one to you know, capture, that's rule number one, every congressional district has to have that equal population. And um, it is a, you know, North Carolina, you and I, uh, we've talked about this before, what a big change in 50 years, even in our lifetimes or longer than that. We're, we're both older than 50, but it's just such a, um, I guess, a nod to how we've changed so much. And we are now a state where more people are from somewhere else than actually native North Carolinians, uh, like you and I, Don. And uh, indeed, though, it is something that um, does create challenges to um, the map makers. But we do think that districts can be drawn in an open process that produce maps that are not distorted so much where it is not really reflecting, again, uh, what we are in North Carolina. And that is a very, very competitive, politically divided state. How do you see uh, the the maps uh, coming out, especially Wake and Mecklenburg? Because uh, how will Mecklenburg, who will the majority of Wake County have, uh, uh, or actually the minority, the minority, uh, three hundred fifty or so thousand people in Wake County are going to have to be in another district? I'm getting to that question. What district will they be in? Goodness, if I if I had the crystal ball and could uh, predict and. Uh, you know, I might be one of those hired to uh, draw the maps. Uh, what I can say is, uh, presumably, both parties right now have their experts trying to do just what you're asking, and that is draw maps based on the projections. Now, we do have the census data knowing enough where we are getting that 14th seat. But, um, you know, that's part of the problem where you have both parties, but the party in power is the one that can prevail, but where they draw the lines to give as many seats as they can. And you may have seen there had been a published report that there could be um, uh, some kind of a plan that would create four safe Democratic seats, and one of them being uh, the seat that uh, Congresswoman Ross holds, but that uh, other seats would be uh, created that uh, might even be a speculation as that Speaker Tim Moore might grab that would include a little bit of Mecklenburg, but stretch all the way to Cleveland County, which is his home turf. But all that's speculative. Uh, no one really knows right now, but we do know that um, the urban areas and the growth, it's going to be more compact, as you've mentioned, Don, in Charlotte and Raleigh for at least one of those districts. Well, there's all sorts of court, uh, there have been all sorts of court challenges over the last 10 years or so 
that have come out with different rules and, and, and things that must happen in any redistricting, will that be easier to do now or harder to do because of the way the population came out? It, my first blush is it looks like it's going to be more difficult. Well, the problem is, and one of the court decisions that we were involved in uh, basically found that partisan gerrymandering is a uh, violation of our state constitution. And what that means is uh, the map makers aren't allowed to look at election results and partisan data when they create those maps. Um, I don't know that the size of the population or the state, rather, is as much of a, a challenge as it is for us, groups like Common Cause and just the public itself to enforce that. There is really no way to enforce uh, a ban of looking at partisan data when the very people drawing the map are the lawmakers themselves. They know their districts. They know the congressional districts. They sort of know where the population trends are. And it's just very, very difficult to enforce. Um, indeed, as you get uh, as you had mentioned too at the top, where the distribution is more tightly compacted in the urban areas, that does create some challenges, and particularly in the in the legislative district drawing, where you have 120 House districts across the state and 50 Senate districts across the state. Well, and on the congressional side, uh, districts like the first district are actually going to add more geographic area to get up to 750,000 people. So that, that makes that, a congressman stretch his territory. That's right. And you, you point that one out. I think I remember one of the times the map that had been approved, you could draw, if you could draw the line and flatten it out, it would stretch from Raleigh to Austin, Texas. I think it's just an amazing amount of, you know, miles uh, that that one district has had. And you're right. As, as counties empty of people, then you have to grab more land in some of those rural areas uh, to create that district that has that 750,000 uh, population. So you've got that not only in the uh, northeastern section of North Carolina, but you've also got it in the uh, extreme western part of the state. The, the area west of Asheville is very difficult to come up with uh, an easy count of 750,000 people. So it's going to be interesting to watch how that uh, comes out. And as you mentioned, uh, when we redistrict, of course, it also is going to redistrict the House and the Senate districts. And so the larger counties are going to start having what, 8, 10, 12 people? I think Wake and Mac will get additional legislative seats. And then you've got the complexity of the lawmakers trying not to what they call double bunk, and that is draw new districts that might have two or three incumbents in the new district. Uh, generally, we'd like to see a process that would be blind to that and that the lines are drawn, uh, again, with uh, what is uh, the most fair manner and the best, most competitive district. Uh, but at the same time, uh, that is going to create more challenges as well. Just like we were talking with the congressional, the uh, rural seats, you're going to have to grab more land, more counties to create those House and Senate districts. Now, am, am I correctly saying that uh, for the congressional seats, the congressman actually does not have to live in the district he's running in? Um, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, Walter Jones, he didn't live too far from his uh, congressional district, but he'd lived outside it. You have had certainly candidates who've run uh, for districts, not successfully, I might add, but have run from, say, you know, more than 100 miles from the district that they're running for. So you're in, you're right. Now, that is not the case for the legislature. You have to live yeah. in the, the district you're representing. 
And that's what causes that double bunking problem. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. So uh, maybe one way to get around that would be just say, okay, you've got to live within 50 miles of your district or something of that nature. Maybe, maybe that law needs a, addressing, but uh, of course the whole idea behind uh, that is uh, that the public can get in touch with uh, their elected officials because they're living in, in or around their, their home area. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch that. When do you project that they will finish the redistricting uh, uh, when, and when will they start on this process? Well, filing is in December and the process will begin in October. I think we get the census data in late September. This is all much later in the year than we normally would do. I mean, right now the debt, the census data would normally be in now and the map making would actually already be beginning, but all that is being pushed back to the fall, Don. And, you know, again, that's a concern. We want to get as much public input and public eyes on the process. And that's certainly something common cause will be looking to try to push and do. Well, Common Cause has been very active in this area, and I suspect you will continue to be because this is uh, this is grassroots government at at, at, uh, at the grassroots level, so to speak. Our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina, and we will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll be talking about the issues that Bob and his organization are concerned with, and we'll do that right after we take time out for this message. Steven. Who said that? Me. Down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Back with Bob Phillips, uh, the Executive Director of Common Calls here on Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted again to have Bob with us. He's been a frequent guest on this program, and uh, we value his opinions and thoughts. And uh, as we've said in his introduction, he's a former journalist. At one time, uh, 20 some odd years ago, actually a little bit longer than that, he was a, a television news person with uh, WPTF TV. And uh, then he had the good sense to get out of uh, broadcasting and get an honest job where he was uh, probably better paid and uh, better served for that matter. Uh, Bob, uh, Common Calls, of course, is always looking at all sorts of legislation. Let's talk about what legislation is uh, uh, currently on the agendas of the North Carolina House and Senate that you're concerned with and what uh, are you advocating for at this point in time? Well, any uh, any laws or proposals that are going to uh, make voting what we would say voting uh, more difficult uh, has our attention. And there, ha- there have been some uh, that have been proposed, uh, things that might restrict the powers of the State Board of Elections Director, cutting completely uh, the allowance of uh, a properly postmarked absentee ballot uh, from being counted if it arrives within the three days after the election. We've had that law done for more than 10 years. And that is, again, if someone properly does uh, fills out their absentee ballot and uh, the mail service delivers it late, but within three days of the election, uh, traditionally that ballot has counted. And we see no reason for that not to still um, be the case, but yet there is a proposal that would uh, cut that out. So we're, we're playing a little bit of defense in that sense. And that is, again, opposing any kind of uh, proposal that makes voting in our minds uh, harder, but also uh, advocating for laws that would maybe, again, help open up and make it easier. Things we've talked about with regards to registering to vote, keeping uh, voting by mail uh, uh, easy and accessible, um, giving counties more flexibility with regards to early voting doesn't mean that we have to lengthen that 17-day early voting period that we have, but at the same time, giving counties a little bit more flexibility of when they have their early voting um, hours as opposed to a one-size-fits-all, which is kind of what we have. Um, So that's it in the voting realm. Um, With regards to redistricting, again, there have been bills that have been proposed that would provide what we think is a much better way to uh, draw the lines, and that is having a citizens commission do that uh, deed and not the lawmakers uh, with much more public input and much more transparency. Uh, candidly, those bills, will, they're parked in uh, rules and meaning they will not go anywhere. But what we are trying to do and what we might be able to influence is what we call the criteria. And that is sort of how, when that process does happen in October, uh, what that looks like. And again, we're pushing for any law, any proposal that does have more openness, more transparency, and uh, more public input. One thing I didn't mention, though, Don, and this is something we are also taking a strong stand on, we think because the census numbers are so delayed, we get them in late September, and the lawmakers cannot actually produce maps until October. Uh, And then you know that there is what we call the candidate filing period. That starts December 8th. So somehow, if uh, candidate Don Curtis is considering running for Congress 
but you will not know. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Well, there's, there's never say never, Don. There's always, uh, you know, time to, uh, to have that career change. But uh, if any candidate, maybe candidate Jason Kong will say then is running for Congress, you want to have the ability to kind of look and see what that congressional district is going to look like before you decide to have the time to talk to donors, to really get your uh, your act together. But we're not going to know that. The candidate's not going to know that until five weeks before they have to file. And that's just a short, compressed time. We have actually taken a position and encouraged and urged lawmakers to push the candidate filing period back to February, as it used to be, and push the actual primary election to early May, like it used to be for this upcoming 2022 election year, just to give legislators more time to draw the maps and not be under the pressure of uh, having to produce the maps very quickly for that to, to meet that candidate filing uh, time, which begins in December. So that's another piece that we are um, pushing. Um, those done are mainly, again, and they kind of center on the areas we talked about, voting rights and fair maps. We, we talked about this earlier on in the program, but I want to go back to it one more time because I think it's so important. As the population changes in North Carolina, the metropolitan areas get bigger, uh, the rural areas are getting less. What kind of problems do you see down the road as, as the rural areas actually lose more and more influence because... Uh, the uh, urban areas, especially those around Wake County and uh, Mecklenburg County and the Greensboro area, continue to have more and more representation in the General Assembly. Well, you don't want to have, I guess, to say, it, you know, where one area or the urban areas get all the toys. And obviously, uh, an accurate census helps uh, as one way that the millions and millions of federal dollars are distributed based on a, an accurate count. And it is certainly in the COVID year we were in, uh, the, the, the former president and his administration didn't seem to also push robust participation like we had normally seen. And I do believe, I guess we'll know in September, that maybe even though we are getting that extra congressional seat, we just don't feel like, was there an undercount? I, I worry about that, and particularly in the rural areas. Uh, but that's what you worry about. We are a diverse state. Uh, we are not an agrar agrarian state anymore, but there's still a significant numbers of folks who live in the rural parts and you want to have and see that they are well represented and that they are also getting uh, a proper distribution of the services and resources that the state can offer. And uh, it's a concern, you know, are they gonna be left out? Uh, last year this time, actually probably last year this time, maybe in April and May, we had a lot of uncertainty about where we were going and. And quite frankly, I think almost all of us are rather amazed that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, which was very, uh, which had a lot of adverse effect on a lot of people, but overall, the state of North Carolina has come out pretty well. The state budget is, uh, uh, I mean, the, the funding in the General Assembly is there. Uh, I think last year this time, we were all worried about that. Uh, they've got plenty of money. As a matter of fact, one of the problems is going to be what to do with the, the extra money. Uh, uh, were you surprised uh, to find ourselves in this position a year later? I, I was, you know, I mean, again, so many things shut down and in the service 
and retail industry. I know there was a lot of job loss and many of the small businesses, restaurants, stores, what have you, many of those unfortunately are closed and they're not going to come back. And you certainly hate to see that, but perhaps speaking to the diverse and professional and in the areas where we live in the triangle, and it's the same in Charlotte and probably in the triad, uh, the workforce was not harmed and many people were able to, you know, work from home and continue uh, earning the money and spending the money and paying the property taxes. And of course, what also surprises me, Don, is just now, uh, you know, everybody talks about the pent up demand, but uh, the things that people are spending their money on, and you can see it in the construction and in the home buying and all that, it's just phenomenal. And I know we're not alone in that, but um a year ago, Don, like you said, I think everybody was very, very concerned about so many things, our health, but also our health of our economy. And indeed, North Carolina has fared much better than I would have thought. And of course, we were last year this time we were looking at an election year and it was a very contentious election uh, in many respects. A lot of strong feelings and a lot of partisan. Do you think there's less partisanship today than maybe there was um say, a year ago? Are we getting any better cooperation across party lines? And is that improving at all? Well, you know, I hear in uh, sometimes anecdotes uh, in, the, in the legislature that uh, there have been some conversations and there, there have been a little bit of uh, uh, glimmers of hope that maybe we, uh, you know, have been seeing some uh, more bipartisanship or working across the aisle. I do think that a year ago, you know, the old phrase of we're all in it together. I think we felt that. And that did cross party lines. I mean, I know some people had different views of wearing masks and social distancing, but I think by and large, most people did feel that we're all in it together. Um, but at the same time, you know, there are stark differences uh, between both political parties, and that has not softened. Um, there might be, again, uh, more conversations that are happening, and that's a good thing. And while it doesn't mean that one side completely uh, uh, comes to the other side where you can have conversations, that's where maybe sometimes uh, that word compromise, which uh, I don't think is a bad word, you know, can come into play. Um, so it's a little bit of a mixed answer, Don. I do think those polarizing trends that we've seen, we are as polarized as ever. Uh, but, you know, over there on Jones Street, uh, you do have some relationships some conversations that uh, I think uh, are emerging or are happening rather uh, in large part based on that, you know, we were all facing severe challenges last year and we all felt like we were in the same boat. So Bob, we've got about a minute and a half here for you to tell me what, what are your biggest concerns right now as you look ahead uh, to the remainder of this year and the year ahead? What, what worries you the most about where we're going and where we are? Well, it's, for, it's sort of like who we are as a state and, and what kind of a state we want to project. And I think this is happening in other states around the country. But are we going to be a state that makes voting harder uh, for people and for certain constituencies or demographics of our state? I don't think that's what we want to do and where we want to go. And again, Don, as I mentioned, uh, the business community that is really responsible for uh, the great growth of our state. They come to North Carolina, new people come here to work in these jobs and these businesses. Apple's announcement has a lot of, you know, exciting things. But 
the brand of North Carolina matters and voting, strong voting laws are a key part of that. So it worries me. I don't want to see a, a rollback of that. And then obviously our, our goal of fair maps, our goal of where uh, districts, congressional and legislative districts are not gerrymandered, where everybody feels like they have a voice that their vote is not being diluted. Uh, where we land and what happens with that is also a great concern. But we got a lot of great things about North Carolina too. I don't ever try to take that for granted, uh, but we're going to continue to work for what we think are the things that are needed to improve democracy. Bob, thank you so much for being with us. Bob Phillips, Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina. This program comes in two, uh, two forms. A number of you are watching a 30-minute version. If you'd like to hear the segments that you missed, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear those segments. Or if you'd like to share the entire broadcast with a friend, you can do that as well. carolinanewsmakers.com. Jason Conn will have another guest for us next week on the same group of stations across the state. Until next week, have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.